This is the Music Mentor Podcast. What is going on, my friends? This is Demian, your host of the Music Mentor Podcast, and welcome to episode number 226. This week, I have decided to make it all about Black Lives Matter and about the current situation that we are living and what our brothers and sisters have been living for the past centuries, believe it or not. And I'm sure you're very well aware of uh, the racist nature of uh, this country and the society that we live in and the world as a whole because uh, black people have been oppressed, like I said, for centuries. So instead of the normal sort of music-themed podcast, I felt a responsibility, since I have a little bit of a platform, to speak about that. And today's episode will not be about my opinion on things, but rather the past uh, few weeks I have been compiling some posts I've seen on Instagram that uh, I found incredibly interesting and there are just so many to share. So what I decided to do is to read some of the things that I've heard and that I've read that I find that are incredibly helpful. Some are going to be informative to the to most people. Some are going to be targeted towards white people and things of, of that nature. So it's going to it could be a heavy one today so and i have to say something before i start a lot of these posts uh i i i saved from my dear friend Cynthia Parkhurst who is an incredible photographer who works for the Jonas Brothers and she's an incredibly sensitive sensible caring selfless wonderful human being in the arts and as a person and she's an activist, and I'm just so proud to know her, and a lot of these I took from her. So again, these are not things that I have written, and they are things that also Cynthia hasn't written. She has um, copied, in, in the good sense of the word, or reposted, I should say. So um, here we go. I'm going to go over a few things. So again, this might get a little deep and in, in, in intense, so to speak, but it's one of those conversations worth having. And in this case, it's not necessarily a conversation because we're not speaking to each other. And, and you'll, you'll hear a lot of things that maybe you see on, on Instagram, but you scroll through or you don't go through all the slides. And again, I think it's very, very important. And I feel it's my duty to help as much as I can. So I'll start with six common logical fallacies to avoid when we're talking and when we're talking about racism and police brutality. The ad hominem fallacy, which basically is attacking the person making the argument instead of the argument itself. And the name comes from the Latin against the man. So examples of these would be stating that someone is uneducated, therefore their opinion is invalid, or calling someone a snowflake instead of engaging in an informed discussion. The straw man fallacy, which is arguing against an oversimplified or distorted version of your opponent's argument. An example of this would be distorting the Black Lives Matter movement by saying that its supporters hate all police and hate all white people. The false dilemma fallacy, 
which is turning a complex issue into an argument between two inherently opposed sides. Examples of these would be reducing the issue of police brutality to supporting the police or supporting black people instead of acknowledging that you can constructively do both. That's very important. The anecdotal evidence fallacy, which is using a personal example to determine the entire argument. An example of these, this would be dismissing police brutality because you personally haven't experienced it or asserting that racism isn't real because you have black friends. A very common one. The red herring fallacy, which is diverting away from the actual argument by bringing up another issue. For example, using incidents of black-on-black -black crime or civilians killing police as a reason to do nothing about racism or police brutality. Towards the end of this post, they say a couple of things, one of them being remember to listen. Waiting for somebody to finish talking or typing is not the same as listening. Figure out what they're actually saying and respond directly to their concerns in a thoughtful manner. And always remember to be respectful. Comprehending complex layers of systemic racism and confronting one's own guilt in maintaining a racist status quo takes a lot of emotional energy and courage. If someone is genuinely trying to learn, be willing to give grace and speak respectfully. So when I first saw that, it, it really impacted me. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where you always feel like, oh, that's not me. And you also realize that maybe there are things that you could do better and hear better and listen better and help more and be more active and stand up for your friends and, and so on and so forth. So as much as I, I'm not saying this to preach or to tell you that you need to hear it, I'm also saying it uh, to myself. And one of the things that I can assume that is very, very difficult for people has to do with talking to your family about racism. Thankfully, my family, that is not an issue in my family, but that is a, an issue for a lot of people. So again, Cynthia posted something incredibly interesting um, from the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. And this was basically a, a guide for white people on how to talk to your family about racism. One, start with the difference between intent and impact. Many white people say we aren't racist. What we mean is that we don't intend to be racist. Our intent is irrelevant if the impact of our actions still harms someone. I'm going to read that again. Our intent is irrelevant if the impact of our actions still harms someone. Our intent is irrelevant if the impact of our action, actions excuse me, perpetuates a racist system. Intent versus impact is anti-racism 101. And it reminds us that, as white people, if you are, racism is not about you. Number two, watch your tone. As white people, we don't get to tell black people how to talk to us about their own oppression. This is called tone policing. Look it up. But when we talk to other white people about race, we are obligated to speak in a way that maximizes effectiveness, even if that takes more energy from us. The information we have to communicate is more important than our feelings. Number three, tell stories of your own privilege. Tell your family member a story of a specific way your white privilege has protected you. This is also a great opportunity for you to reflect on and better understand your own privilege. We learn by teaching. Number four, share some of your own fuck-ups. Admitting that you've been wrong before helps normalize personal growth. It makes it easier for your family to reflect on their own failures and move from there. 
Share specific times when you messed up and explain why those actions were wrong. Vulnerability is strength. Number five, make it okay to ask questions. Ask your family if they have any questions about racism. Note that this may bring up stuff you don't know yet either. One time, my family, and I don't know who's reading this, but I'll say it. One time, my family asked me about black-on-black crime. I didn't know how to respond, so I googled it. Then I found out an article called In the Root that explained why it isn't a thing. My family and I learned together. So these are a few that I really, really, really enjoyed when it comes, excuse me, to speaking to your family. Uh, I find it fascinating. And like I said, you know, just because I'm I'm one of the lucky ones that uh, doesn't really or hasn't had to deal with this stuff doesn't mean that it's not around me and that I can't help. I'm sensitive to all those things. So I definitely want to help. And one of the, the things that we hear the most, sadly, and I know you have because it's, it's sort of that, that response that we hear constantly that to me has always felt so ignorant on so many levels has to do with when people say or they reply to the Black Lives Matter movement with All Lives Matter. And I want to read, again, another thing that really helped me sort of respond to that. And this is uh, common responses to a lot of things. So I'll finish with these. How to respond to common racist statements. The first one being, all lives matter. What us in the Black Lives Matter movement say, or people that that believe in equality for our, our black sisters and brothers has to do with this. All lives can't matter until black lives matter. All lives matter, saying that, overlooks systemic injustice plaguing the black community. All lives matter has been weaponized to silence the cries of the unheard. All lives matter promptly ends progress before it starts. To work toward equity for all people, we must start with advocacy for the most marginalized. Another argument is, I'm not a racist person when you may know that you're a racist person. This quote-unquote good non-racist people versus quote-unquote bad racist people binary concept is a gross oversimplification of what racism is. Racism is oftentimes subconscious, undetected, and born out of privilege or apathy. Racism isn't just in bad people's minds. Racism affects all people who belong to a radicalized society, excuse me, to a racialized society. Put more effort into learning how to be anti-racist than you put into convincing others you're non-racist. Another argument. As a white person, I'm discriminated against because of reversed racism. Racism requires both prejudice and power. You may face prejudice. That's not racism because your race is in power. The criminal justice system favors white people. Social institutions favor white people and white culture. And internalized prejudices attribute favorable traits to white people. White people are irrefutably in the place of power, so reverse racism cannot exist. And I remember hearing that reverse racism is it's absurd. Racism is racism, right? So another argument. You think something I said was racist? You must have misunderstood me. When individuals perpetuate racism, it's usually unintentional. You may have had good intentions. Still, racist 
acts are defined by their impact, not their intent. Give black people the benefit of the doubt when we call out racism. Rather than suggesting we lack understanding or intelligence, listen and learn from us about how to confront racist ideologies. Another argument. I don't see color. We're all one human race. Right. While we are all human and biologically the same, the systemic oppression of black people makes my experiences vastly different from yours. To say that you don't see my race means you don't see my oppression, my marginalization, or the discrimination I'm facing daily. This diminishes my suffering and excuses you from your responsibility to be anti-racist. You must see race, excuse me, you must see race to combat racism. Another argument. I'm not responsible for what my ancestors did. Am I supposed to feel bad about that? We are living in a society that was built on the backs of black people for the benefit of white people. Generational wealth, prosperity, and opportunity benefit white people. Recognize that injustice didn't stop with our ancestors. White people are presently benefiting from the very system that marginalized black people. Feel convicted to reconcile today's injustices. Why do you want to make everything about race is another common argument. Everything in our society is blanketed with white supremacy, which is the notion that whiteness is the norm, the standard, or the ideal. Blackness is regarded as abnormal, substandard, and not ideal. White supremacy covers every facet of our society, but often goes unnoticed by those it benefits. To better recognize your privilege, take notice of oppression that you don't experience. So these are all things, like I said, these aren't my opinions. Of course, I share most of them, if not all of them. And this, I haven't even touched upon the abolition or abolishing police and all those things that are, when you hear sort of controversial ideas like that, that might seem controversial, you need to stop and listen to what they truly mean. There's so many things that are, are impacting everybody. And I've gotten asked before, like, why am I so interested in this when there's so many causes, especially being Venezuelan? Like, why am I not this vocal about problems in Venezuela and so on and so forth? So what I say to that is I have been incredibly vocal about problems in Venezuela. And one of the things I've learned in my life is that sometimes... The most just cause is the one at hand. So right now, what the world is living through has the momentum to really help and change people that have needed help. It doesn't matter for how long or who they are, but it's people that need help. And this is the momentum. And this is what we have to do because it's what feels right and correct. There are many causes, infinite causes. I have a soft spot for many things and I feel like I want to help anything from child trafficking to domestic abuse to racism to amplifying the Black Lives Matter movement and I'm passionate about many other things, females in sports and blah, 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 blah. And by blah, I don't mean to minimize it, but I mean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So again, Sometimes what we need to do is have difficult conversations or hear, listen to things that we might not want to listen to. And this is the time to do it. There's a reason why this is all happening. And the reason simply, in my opinion, is because it's what 
my friends deserve, is what my ancestors deserved, is what people deserve because they are people, they're human beings. And the fact is that in a lot of parts of the world, they are not treated the way they deserve. And they're treated very wrongly. And we see it with George Floyd, and we've seen it with, obviously, slavery and a million other things, sadly, where we lose count. And again, I'm not preaching. I'm not trying to put down white people, whom I love as well. It's a matter of understanding and listening and being empathetic. And sometimes, like I said, sometimes we see things and we scroll past them or they're like tough to read. So we, you know, we skip, skip over. So maybe you were able to listen to this or, or gave, gave this a shot. And I'll close with something that is uh, very special to me. And it's what I've seen from, I want to say, I don't say every single one of them because I don't have them all on social media, but I, well, I'll say this. I haven't seen so many of my students stand behind something so much like they have for Black Lives Matter. And I'm talking about current students and past students, and I'm so proud of them. And I'm so happy to have been a small part of their lives and hopefully have had a positive impact And I learned from them and I'm just so proud to see that they're standing up for that with, for what they believe. Those that have a, a larger platform by being either known artists or in famous bands or whatnot. And I love that. And, and, you know, they're young people and it just gives me a lot of hope. And on the other hand, you know, the people that have remained silent in, in haven't done anything or post about other things and it, it it sort of gives me a, a weird taste and um, I've, I'm also guilty by the way, there's only so much that I did posting and then eventually I posted like base covers or something like that. So it, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic, but I can sort of see who has remained silent among the people that I thought were respectful and, and loved more than, than I thought, I guess. So anyway, that was a, a little heavy, way to end but i hope you're doing well i hope you're still safe if you are uh, voting vote hard and vote for what is right and help others in um, stay safe if you're protesting be very very vigilant and take care of yourselves this was a not so musical the music mentor podcast